0: Good morning my name is Amanda and I am the associate pastor here at the peak I'm super grateful uh, really grateful that you're here this morning um, because of the weather and the time change I'll go ahead and tell you that you all get extra Jesus points just for being in the room sorry to those of you who are worshiping online we love you but these are the the tried the true and the faithful um, I'm very glad that you're here so during this Lent season, if you've been with us, you know that we've been engaging with Scripture and with a tool called the Enneagram in a sermon series we've named Me, Myself, and Why. For some of you, we are speaking your language. You were so excited when you heard that we were going to be utilizing this tool during the next uh, few weeks of the life of the church. You were ready, you couldn't wait for us to get to the sermon about your number. Uh, For others of you, you might have been a little wary, having met the Enneagram fanatics I just mentioned before, once or twice. Uh, And for others, you have never heard of this tool before, but you are wondering if it might be a cult. And I can assure you, it is not, although to be fair to you, the symbol doesn't do it any favors, right? (laughs) But we've been moving through this tool, um, and it's been so helpful. So I want to put your concerns at ease, Um, and what I can tell you is that the Enneagram is simply a tool that acts as a mirror, right? It shows us very clearly who we are um, and who maybe we could be when we use this tool properly. Um, It is a tool that might tell us how we can grow more into the people that scripture tells us God is always creating us to become. The Apostle Paul actually addresses this reality that on this side of heaven, we have limited vision. We can't see very well, but we also know that there's this process of salvation, this process of transformation that is offered to us through Christ Jesus, and that process will lead us to greater clarity of vision as we continue down the path. This is what Paul says uh, to his friends in Corinth, um, in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, Now we see a reflection in a mirror, but then we will see face to face. Now I know partially, but then I will know completely in the same way that I have been completely known. So in short, the Enneagram is an invitation to know as you have been known. It is an invitation to see ourselves and one another more clearly and, therefore, to love one another better. So this tool is not meant to be wielded as a weapon. It is meant to be a tool that prompts us into further love for one another. In the season of Lent, a season that exists in the life of the church uh, in which we are supposed to wander Uh, and wonder about ourselves and about our faith alongside Jesus in the wilderness. It felt very fitting for us to utilize this tool during uh, these 40 days of Lent. So far, we have covered six of the nine types. Pastor Kyle outlined the mind triad, which is uh, the fives, the sixes, and the sevens. These are the the head people, the thinkers. Um, We call them uh, the investigators, the loyalists, and the enthusiasts among us. And last week, he covered the gut triad, uh, and these are the eights, the nines, and the ones. We call them the challengers, the peacemakers, and the reformers. Um, And... If you missed those, I would highly recommend um, taking a look and catching up. Um, You can find them on our website, on our YouTube page, Um, but if you missed the sermon on your number... It could be really helpful for you. Um, I will say, disclaimer, uh, if you've been here, you already know this. These sermons, um, especially when they're about you, they're very vulnerable. It feels very scary (laughs) because it feels like uh, someone has been following you around and taking notes, and then they're reading the notes to the rest of the class, right? So um, you might see uh, in this mirror a clearer picture of yourself than maybe you wanted to, Um, but it's always meant to help us in a process of growth. So it's always meant to be um, helpful to you. Today, though, we're going to dive headfirst into the triad. So this is the twos, the heart triad. This is the twos, the threes, and the fours. We're the heart people. That's where we process things. Uh, and our core emotion is shame, boatloads of shame. <laughs> That's an Avid Brothers joke. Um, one person laughed at it in the last service, and I think we got half a laugh over here this time, so maybe I should just um, quit while I'm ahead. Uh <laughs> So these folks are uh, the feelers. Raise your hand if this is you, if you're a two or three or four, or if you're, you know that you process things in your heart. Okay, these are my people. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Welcome. <laughs> so we utilize our emotion and sensation in order to guide our decision making. So for those in the heart triad, um, we can be people who are in tune with our own emotions when we're healthy, and we can also be in tune with the emotions of other people when we're healthy. As you might imagine, Jesus actually has quite a lot to say to us about our hearts. If you've ever read the New Testament, you know that's true. And as you heard Julie read in our scripture passage for today, Jesus teaches us that we will find our hearts in the places where we put our treasure. This instruction comes to us midway through the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of Jesus' famous sermons in which he takes Old ideas and old scriptures and reinterprets them for the people that are with him for his friends and for those who are following around and listening to him speak what's interesting is the word that jesus uses here that is translated as heart there's a little bit of nuance in there that you and i might miss if we read past it too quickly because you and i tend to think of the heart as the seat of love our feelings our passion right that's the heart It's like Valentine's Day, right? Um, those, Those are the kind of things that live in our heart, all of our feelings, all of our love. But for Jesus and his friends, when they use the word cardia, which is the word used in this passage, what they mean is that the heart is also the location of thought and intention and moral disposition. So not only are our hearts the places inside of ourselves where we keep love and feeling and passion, but they're also the places inside of us where we consider where we weigh the options, where we decide, and ultimately where we determine the kind of person that we are going to be. This instruction from Jesus about treasure and about our hearts uh, begs the question, what is our treasure? I don't know about you, but I don't exactly keep a chest full of like gold and diamonds and rubies buried in my backyard. Um, I'm not a pirate. Uh, so if treasure isn't that, uh, then what is uh, Jesus referring to here? Well, we know that it can't just be money, at least for the people who were present when he was sharing this teaching. Those people uh, who followed Jesus, the twelve, and the others who are listening in, were almost certainly not materially wealthy people. These are people who likely lived in poverty their entire lives. And I think it's really important for us to remember here that Jesus also lived in poverty his entire life. But the disciples don't laugh Jesus off the stage when he talks about their treasure, or they don't laugh him off the mountain in this case. Um, They take him at his word here. They take him seriously. They're picking up what he's putting down, right? They understand him. So they clearly know that Jesus isn't just talking about their money, however little of it there may be. You see, I think Jesus is talking about something more altogether. When Jesus uses the word treasure... What he means is time, energy, attention, and even passion or purpose. Jesus is saying where you spend your time, how you use your energy, where you direct your attention is ultimately where your heart will be. And so the recipient, if the recipient of all of those things for you is money— Uh, then you might be a pirate, right? Then your treasure is actually literal treasure. (laughs) And I'd be willing to bet, actually, that all of us um, in this room uh, are people who value money, right, who see money as treasure. And so in some ways, for all of us, at least part of our hearts are with our money. There are so many other things that we spend our treasure on. Um, Achievement, drive, and success, that has to be at the top of the list. Uh, entertainment is definitely way up there, and if you doubt me, just think about the last time that you binge-watched a TV show and how many hours that took you. Um, I'm not embarrassed to say that I have now re-watched Ted Lasso for the sixth time, I think, um, and it is still equally as wonderful. But I spend a lot of hours doing that, so that's probably one of the places where I spend my treasure. Family is also up there, um, probably toward the top for most of us, right? In some way, We give our hearts to these things, we spend our treasure on them, and it changes us. It influences our feelings, our emotions, our passions, it impacts our thinking and our decision-making and even our morality, not always for the better. For those of us who are in this heart triad, which I will be bold enough to admit includes me, I am a two, which should come as uh, not a surprise to anyone who actually knows me. Um, But the top recipient of our investment of treasure in the heart triad is our image. We are so concerned with the way that we are perceived that we will throw our treasure at whatever will help us become more likable. Uh, So that plays out in different ways for twos and threes and fours, but ultimately the question that we ask ourselves in the heart triad is the same. And that question question is, am I enough? Am I enough? So for the two, for the helper, this emerges in an ongoing struggle uh, between a deep desire to be loved and cherished and a deep-seated fear of rejection. Twos are constantly asking ourselves, am I worthy enough? Many twos find themselves filled with a desire to serve other people from a place of love and connection. And at their core, twos genuinely enjoy helping other people in whatever way they can. When it comes to the Enneagram, I really always love to think about how each of the numbers would um, function on a road trip with you. Uh, And so our sweet, sweet twos uh, would be the people with a giant bag full of snacks of every kind, like sweet, salty, savory. They've got you covered. They have uh, the perfect pillow and a fuzzy blankie for when you get cold. And they've made you a playlist that has all of your favorite songs on it. So that's how you know you're on a road trip with a two. The gift that twos offer is that they are always full of heart. They always show up with their whole selves for you, even if what is needed is hard or exhausting or gross or strange or weird. They are the people who will always show up when you're sick or when you're grieving or when you're moving and you need someone to help shuffle around your furniture. There was a period in my life where um, I was uh, in grad school and my friends moved a lot, I moved a lot, and so I felt like I was helping somebody move just about every other weekend. I was like, I don't even need to go to the gym. I know I'm going to be lifting someone's couch this weekend. So um, that's, that's the twos. Twos will always show up whenever you need them. But the liability of twos is that it can be so hard for them, for us, uh, to sort out boundaries. It's like a bad word for a two. Don't ever say boundaries to a two. That's a joke. Please say boundaries to a two. We need your help. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Um, An unhealthy two will have a lot of trouble establishing a boundary between helping from a place of love and connection and helping out of a fear of being rejected, right? Out of a, uh, a fear of not being loved. And this is where the shame comes in. Twos can become so immersed in a quest to receive love because deep down they are ashamed at the possibility that they might not be deserving of love at all. Love then becomes something that is earned rather than freely given. And rejection is always this sort of looming specter off in the distance waiting to swoop in and steal the kindness of a two and turn it into bitterness. Or maybe even a a desire to manipulate other people to receive their love. So in order for twos to collect our treasures in heaven... We have to find a way to spend just as much time and energy and passion caring for and serving ourselves as we do for other people. For the two, they must engage in what you might call boundaried service. We kind of made up that word. Boundaried service. I think it's a real word. It's an adjective. Boundaried service. Service that has boundaries is what uh, the two's goal needs to be in their life. And along with our twos, we all need to figure out how to navigate healthy boundaries When it comes to what we owe to other people, what we want to offer to other people, and what we owe to ourselves and to God, what we need to offer to ourselves and to God. This is how we can, um, as twos, and as people with hearts, all of us have a heart, right? This is how we can invest our treasure in places where our hearts might actually be able to thrive, The best advice that Jesus offers to that end is that we must love God with all of our hearts and with all of our minds and with all of our strength and we have to love our neighbors as ourselves. And that advice from Jesus is dependent upon the fact that we love ourselves. So that is how Jesus would coach the two to operate in the world. Now... The threes in the room have been patiently or impatiently waiting on the edge of their seat for us to finally get to their number because they already know everything I'm about to say about them. And not only that, uh, all of their answers are right, by the way, they have won, and they have already set goals in response to this sermon that I have not preached yet, that they will have accomplished by the end of the week. Um, After the first service, Pastor Kyle, who is a three, texted me and said, in classic three fashion, I watched your sermon while I was on the treadmill. And I was just like, why are you like this? (laughs) So the threes in the room um, are the, uh, the achievers, right? The people who always want to accomplish. People who always want to win. Um, They are concerned with being valuable, with having value, and their worst nightmare is being worthless. So threes are always asking the question, am I good enough? Threes are often looking for the way to win, to be at the top, because they are full of desire to value others and to be valued. At their core, threes genuinely want to be the best version of themselves. And they also want to be surrounded by all the best people and all the best things. Our driven threes would, of course, be the drivers on our road trip. And they would have uh, the the route planned out so that you will get there the fastest, most efficient way possible. But also, they will have an itinerary uh, that will take you to all of the best places that you could possibly go on your road trip. And you have to follow that itinerary, right? That's how you know you are on a road trip with a three. So the gift that threes offer is that they are always bringing everything they have to the table, and they expect you to do the same. So like I mentioned, Pastor Kyle is a three. It won't surprise you to know that Julie, our executive director, is a three, and Caroline, our children's ministry director, is a three, and they are a gift to this church because they push us to be the most excellent version of ourselves, the church that God is calling us to be. If you're ever bored one day, I would invite you, to come here and follow around Julie and Kyle and Caroline and see not only how much work they get done but the quality of the work they get done. And you will be impressed or exhausted or both or if you're a three, you're gonna jump in and you're gonna help them. So threes are so valuable to any team that they are on but the liability of threes is that they can become so wrapped up in their image, so concerned about how they are perceived in the world that they lose track of who they are. They lose a connection with their truest self. And so um, they, they just can fall into these traps of becoming a workaholic or making everything into a competition that they have to win and the more that they do that the more harm that they're doing to themselves and to other people around them. The shame of being anything less than excellent drives them to try to operate at 100% all of the time, which the rest of us know is impossible. Can't do that. So in order for threes to collect treasures in heaven, they must find a way to balance striving to be the best and connecting with their true selves. Threes must engage the world with what we call genuine ambition. So along with our threes, we can and we should strive to achieve great things. We should all be doing that. But we also have to stay true to ourselves and to God. We can never compromise our values and our heart for the sake of winning, for the sake of being the best. If a three can strike that balance, if we can all strike that balance, we will find um, that we have the capacity to be our genuine selves and that our genuine selves are the best version of ourselves. We'll find that we can be people full of heart, people who have these strong values, these strong commitments that make us who we are. Jesus so helpfully reminds all of us who maybe strive a little too hard for perfection I didn't come to call the righteous people, but sinners, to change their hearts and lives. So, for all of the achievers among us, it's important for us to remember that Jesus comes to us to transform us, not because we are perfect, but in spite of the fact that we are not. Uh, Jesus comes to us in spite of our flaws and the things that we're still working on and chooses to be with us in that and transform us through it. That's the promise of Jesus to the threes in the world. Now, unlike the threes, the fours in the room have been hoping this moment would never come. They've been dreading this part of the sermon because they would tell you they aren't really a four In fact, they're not any number at all. They don't fit into your little box, you square, so take it back. So fours, the individualists are constantly concerned with uniqueness and their worst nightmare is uniformity. They are always asking the question, am I special enough? Fours are often searching for ways to differentiate themselves, to resist the pressure of conformity to celebrate the parts of themselves that are so different from everyone else around them. At their core, fours genuinely want to be themselves, and they want that person to be unlike anyone who has ever lived before or will ever live again. (laughs) So our unique fours would be the people on the road trip who leave without a plan. They will just go wherever the wind takes them, and they'll make you stop for pictures along the way um, and... At the end of the trip, they'll create a photo album of, like, crooked telephone poles or something very artistic like that. So that's how you know you're on a road trip with a four. The gift of fours is that they are always searching for what is unique, for what is authentic, and for what is beautiful. They are creative and romantic, and they're out-of-the-box thinkers who see the world differently from the rest of us. Fours can take the most ordinary of days and make it feel extraordinary, make it feel special, make it feel inspired. And they're able to see the beauty in the world and in the people around them in ways that the rest of us might miss altogether. So fours are a gift. But the liability of fours is that they can become so focused on being unique, on being different, that they disengage from community altogether. They begin to look down on anyone who conforms, who tries to be normal, and then they become extremely judgmental and harsh. The shame of potentially being just like everybody else weighs on them to the extent that they just withdraw altogether. So in order for fours to store up their treasures in heaven, they must be willing to recognize their need for community and connection. They have to be able to see their unique place in the larger world and the reality that the world needs them to be present. Fours must engage the world with communal authenticity. That is what fours always have to be striving for. And if they can learn to embrace others, even as they are embracing their most unique self, what they will find, is that every single person is just as unique and wonderful as they are. They'll find that their hearts can be connected with the hearts of other people like a puzzle and create this beautiful picture of the world as it could be. Jesus promises us there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. For the individualists among us, we are reminded that becoming more like Jesus is not a road to losing your identity. It's actually a road to transformation. And every single one of those transformations will be celebrated individually by God. So twos and threes and fours, this is us. This is the heart triad. And in health and in seasons of growth, when these folks have work to do, we, the rest of us, can learn so much About ourselves and about the world through these people, through these heart-led folks. In fact one of the things that the heart people already know is that what the world needs most right now is heart. The world needs people who are in touch not only with their feelings and their emotions and their passions but also with their thoughts and with their intentions (laughs) and with their morality. The world needs people who lead with their hearts first, which if you're a heart person, you know can be a really dangerous thing. There's this author named Elizabeth Stone, and she writes this. Making the decision to have a child, it is momentous. It is to decide forever to have your heart go walking around outside your body I would argue that making the decision to be a disciple of Jesus means something very similar it means that if we want to be a part of God's mission in the world if we truly want to follow Jesus if we want to see heaven come to earth as we always pray that we do as we prayed this morning that we do if we want all of that to happen we have to lead with our hearts. We have to be people who love heart, which means opening ourselves up and deciding forever to let our hearts go wandering around outside of our bodies, to let our hearts take us by the hand and lead us into the world. Because what the world needs right now is heart. But what the world is demanding of us is everything else. Do you hear the difference? The world needs our heart, but it's asking for everything else from us. The world is constantly begging for our treasure in all kinds of ways, and our focus is just being pulled in every different direction. Our time and our energy are demanded in every single part of our lives. You have to be a good family member, a good parent, a good spouse. You have to be a good sibling. But also, oh, yeah, you have to be a good employee, and you have to be engaged, and you have to be a good citizen, and you have to go to church, and you have to be a good church member. You're being pulled in every which way all the time. Our time and our energy are demanded for us, from us, and our compassion and our empathy like they're squeezed out from us until we become empty and numb to everything that's happening around us our passion and our purpose our mind for what they can produce for how they can be monetized in a world that values money above all else most of us are giving all of our treasure away all of the time and meanwhile our hearts are shriveling up inside of us and what Jesus understands is that when we are so focused on giving everything else away, when we throw our pearls in the mud before swine, as Jesus says, we do lose our hearts. Instead of leading with them, instead of letting them walk around in the world, we lock them up tight in in a cage of our own making because the world is demanding too much from us. So, it might be better just not to offer anything at all, especially not our hearts. Because what if they get trampled? What if they break? And so, our response to this great need of the world is to reject it altogether. Do's do this by becoming resentful and bitter and shutting down. Threes do this by pressing forward, pretending everything's fine. Fours do this by withdrawing and isolating and shutting the world out. But we all do this in one way or another. The world needs our hearts and we just give it everything else instead. But the good news for us is that Jesus knows how to offer his heart even when the world is asking for everything else. In fact, Jesus models it for us. If you've ever been a part of Catholic spaces, chances are you've seen images like this. So these are three different cultural expressions of what is known as the sacred heart or the most sacred heart of Jesus. This is one of the most well-known and widely used Catholic devotions. It focuses, as you might imagine, on the heart of Jesus, which he offers completely to us, to human beings. This heart is a symbol of the boundless love that God has for the whole entire world, embodied in the person of Jesus, and in this tiny little heart outside of his body. In these images, the heart is almost always sort of floating between the visibly wounded hands of Jesus. Usually it's on fire, and sometimes it's being pierced with a sword or a knife. To pray with this image is to understand that God is always reaching out to us with heart and hand. Or you might say that to pray with this image is to understand that the moment God created us, God made the decision to let his heart walk around outside of his body. You see, Jesus knows the temptation is for us to put our treasure in places where our hearts can never survive. Or worse still, to hoard our treasure, and therefore our hearts as well. And so the invitation from Jesus is actually just to do as he does. To liberate our hearts from these cages that we put them in. And instead to share them with this world that so desperately needs them. Jesus models this for us over and over and over again. Even from the cross. At the end, he says, Father, into your hands I entrust my life. The way the apostle Luke tells it, even with his very last breath, Jesus is offering his heart to God. And as it turns out, God is always offering his heart to us. What this means is that if we want to follow Jesus, our hearts are forever going to be walking around outside of us, open to brokenness and wounding and breaking It means that we will have to follow the example of Jesus which might take us down these vulnerable paths that we never really wanted to walk down anyway. It means that we must take up both our crosses and our hearts and follow him. The invitation today is to entrust our whole selves, our very lives, to the one who created our hearts in the first place with the intention That we would share them with the world. Thank you for listening to the Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.